0: On this edition of Nonstop BS, we discuss some major things to watch heading into the final two days of the regular NBA regular season with the Play-In tournament coming up on Tuesday, April 11th. Then we dive into top team needs for the AFC West, including our reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, and then we conclude with our best bets heading into the weekend in sports in the XFL and NASCAR for the Food City Dirt Race coming up on Sunday evening. Are you sick and tired of listening to the legacy media speak repetitively on the same teams, topics, ideas, themes, and players every day? Nonstop BS is a podcast that will give you topics and thoughts about the NFL, NBA, college sports, NASCAR, and others with a deeper vision into why things happen the way they do around the world of sports. There are so many lazy takes from all your favorite media personalities that frustrate you and me every day when we turn on our television or phone. Whether it has to do with politics and sports, promoting big brands, and ridding topics of context... Just to sway the listener's opinion. I, for one, am sick and tired of this type of sports media, and that's why I'm bringing you Nonstop BS. Nonstop BS will dig deep into the why things happen in our favorite sports leagues, creating interesting conversation along with making me and you a smarter, more insightful, broad thinking sports fan. Not to mention, I will give you betting picks for multiple leagues using our new way of thinking about the world of sports and having a little bit of fun with it, along with maybe putting some money in our wallets. So if this sounds like something you've been craving when tirelessly listening to people shout at you about how wrong you are from all of your favorite sports media outlets, then make sure you tune in with me, Cole Incheid, and take the journey of these fantastic seasons we are gifted to enjoy for entertainment with me on Nonstop BS. Hello everyone and welcome into Nonstop BS. My name is Cole Lynchide. Welcome to another episode here entering another fantastic weekend in sports. Happy Easter. Hopefully you guys are going to have a good weekend, um, a good holiday weekend and you get some time to rest and relax and um, spend some time with family whatnot and listen to another good episode hopefully here on a Saturday morning um if you are not following the show just to start off here if you're not following the show on twitter make sure you're doing that this weekend there's going to be a lot of bets that i'm going to be giving out here today and tomorrow heading into the final day of the nba season the the food city dirt race tomorrow at bristol um a lot of lines are not completely set yet so make sure you're following along if you're somebody who likes to follow along with bets that we make on the show and uh and because i just simply can't give them out right now the lines are not completely out i will be giving out some bets especially for the race the nba the lines are all over the place i don't really like any games today here on saturday um but i probably will tomorrow and i definitely will give out some bets tomorrow um in the nba so make sure you're following along for that um if you're also so to follow along on twitter i'm you can follow me at lynch at cole you can follow the show at nonstop bs pod um and then you can also follow along my bets as i've told before On the Action app, Um, you can follow me there at Cole underscore Lynchide. Okay, the NBA to start off the show here today. We've got two days left in the NBA regular season. There are three games coming up here today, um, and then there will be a a full slate of 15 games tomorrow uh, to round out and complete the NBA regular season. So we will know exactly where um, all these teams are going to be playing in the playoffs, where they're seated. We already know a lot of them, to be honest with you, but um, there, there's, there's been a lot of things that have been solidified over the last few days, but there's still a lot that's up in the air as well. So um, the Western Conference is super interesting right now. The Eastern Conference pretty much locked up. The Bucks are locked into the one seed. the the Celtics locked into the 2, uh, the Sixers are locked into the 3, Cavaliers are the 4, The ne- the Knicks are the 5, and Brooklyn has officially clinched the 6 as well. And then actually, yeah, Miami. Every single team. Now that I'm looking through it, I thought there was one that was still a question, but with that, with a with the Raptors losing last night, actually every single team in the Eastern Conference is locked into their seed. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, Miami locked into the seven, so they'll be taking on the Atlanta Hawks, who are locked into the eight for the seven-eight playing game. And then the Raptors are locked into the nine, and the Bulls have been for a couple days now locked into the ten seed. So they will be taking on each other. Um, And the winner of that will play the loser of Miami and Atlanta um, to get the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. In the Western Conference, it's a lot more interesting. So the Nuggets play today, um, and they are not technically locked into the one seed. They lose out, and if Memphis wins their last game, um, then Denver will be the two seed still. Uh, Because Memphis has had just a great surge ever since Ja came back um, to get get back into this race. But it's still very unlikely that it happens. Denver plays the Jazz today. The Jazz are not playing very many players. Um, Most likely with all these teams tanking and stuff, they're going to probably play uh, a team on Sunday, I'm guessing, that will be tanking as well just because the odds. I haven't looked at who Denver plays on Sunday. I'm looking right now. Nope, they'll be playing the Kings. So the Kings are locked into the 3-seed actually right now. Um, and then the Suns right now are sitting in the 4-seed. They are also locked into that. And then it gets more interesting. The Warriors are 43-38 and 38 right now. The Clippers 42-38. Um, with the Clippers having a game here today as well before Sunday. And then the Lakers, Pelicans, both 42-39. and 39. Now all of these teams still could get up to the five seed. But the question is right now, do they want to be the five seed? That's what a lot of this, you know, stuff that's going on in the NBA and and conversations about how how shady a lot of this stuff is. Um, A lot of these teams, people are thinking are kind of trying to tank enough to not be the five seed because they don't, they want to dodge the Suns. But at the same time, because everything is so tight and so close, Um, you're also risking being in the play-in tournament. So um, the Clippers right now at 42-38, and if they win today, they'll be tied with the Warriors. The Warriors have the tiebreaker over the Clippers. It'll be really interesting to see what the Warriors end up doing on Sunday, Um, if they end up playing players, if they end up not playing players. um, Because the Warriors are the only team right now that has complete control, that has a tiebreaker, that will be... A five or a six seed, no matter what, at this point. But <laughs> if the Clippers win, they will play the Sun or the Suns in that case. Um, but if they lose, they have a chance if the Lakers or Pelicans win of slipping to the seven or eight seed. So the Clippers are probably going to be playing no matter what. But it it it, it is going to be interesting to see what the Warriors end up doing if they try to get the draw the Kings instead of by the by getting the six seed instead of um, winning on Sunday and getting the four seed. Uh, going to be interesting to see what happens there. Anyways, then Minnesota and, um, OKC are both locked into the nine and 10 seed. So they will play to, uh, play the loser of the seven, eight game, which like I said, could be any faction of the Clippers, Lakers and Pelicans at this point. So big games coming up on Sunday. Um, you know, a lot of these I'm going are not uh, every single game on Sunday does not have lines out yet. So I will, like I said, be giving bets out um, tomorrow morning when these lines come out, maybe even tonight if the lines come out tonight and I see anything I like. So make sure you're following along with me on Twitter if you like those. But some really exciting games coming up in the NBA and the play in tournament starts on Tuesday. That'll be obviously before the next um, podcast that I am able to uh, give out. So uh, make sure you're following along on Tuesday as well for bets. Um, I am super excited for these playing games. You know, they're they're really annoying for even somebody like me who has a team that is in this playing tournament and wouldn't have been if the playing tournament wasn't a thing. But at the same time, they are great content. Single elimination basketball playing playoff basketball games are super fun. Um, so I definitely understand why the NBA does it. Uh, it's a massive rating boost heading into uh, the playoffs. So um, a lot of fun coming up here this week in the NBA. This is the time to be paying attention to the NBA if you don't for the rest of the season. The NBA playoffs are a super fun um, event on the sporting calendar. Okay, we're going to move on, though, to our main portion of the episode here today, and that is talking about the AFC West and draft needs for each team in the AFC West. AFC West was supposed to be a powerhouse division last year. Uh, It didn't really turn out that way. And to my surprise, for sure, I I was one of the people who thought this was going to be the best division uh, possibly that we had ever seen in the NFL, but there was a couple teams that were completely upsetting, and then there was another team that was frustrating as always, and then you had Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas State Chiefs who just ran through the division one more year, all the way to their second Super Bowl championships. so that part not so surprising. Um, I still like the Chiefs to win the division before the year, but I didn't think it was going to be in the fashion that it was. So we'll start off with the most disappointing team a season ago, and that is the Denver Broncos. Um, The Denver Broncos obviously traded for Russell Wilson last year, was a complete disaster in year one. Fire head coach Nathaniel Hackett after one season, not even a full season, and bring in um, Sean Payton, which is just a huge step up. Um, you know, a huge boost for this team, and a roster that's still pretty good. They obviously had some uh, players on defense that they had to lo- that they lost this off season. They have a lot of money going to um, a lot of players on offense at this point, and they had to pay a few guys on defense, so they they lost some talent on defense, I think. But heading into the draft, I think that's going to be a major area that they're going to try to readdress, basically, um, to get back some of what they lost. So, my number one team need for the Denver Broncos right now, um, is edge rusher. Um, the Broncos are hoping to get more out of Randy Gregory after a really solid first year in the six games that he played. But obviously Randy Gregory has had trouble in his time in Dallas staying on the field and that did not change in year one. Um, in his six games they he played, he had two sacks and 12 QB hurries. So, you know, he played pretty well, but, um, you know, losing Bradley Chubb, losing Von Miller, um, you know, two a year and a half ago, they lost a lot at the edge rushing, at the edge rush position. Um, from what they had back in the Vic Fangio days of this defense being fantastic every year and being the key to why the Broncos were always competitive. Um, but they've lost a lot there, and that's a super key position, obviously, um, for them to be for them to be as good of a defense as they've been in the past. So I think Randy Gregory is going to be a good player if he can stay on the field, but that is not enough by any means. And they're super, super weak behind Randy Gregory at the position. I think this is going to be a major area for them to try to address. It's going to be difficult because the only picks they have in the first three rounds are picks 67 and 68. Um, So obviously they do not have a lot of draft stock to work with as they traded a lot of their picks over the next couple years for Russell Wilson. Um, but I, I do think that that's going to be something that they're going to try to address with with their uh early third round picks that they have. Another position that I think they need to address is the cornerback position. Now, they do have one of the best young cornerbacks in the NFL in Patrick Sertain, but the Broncos are pretty thin um at, at the cornerback posi- at the outside cornerback position outside of Sertain. Um, I, I I like a lot of what they have. I like Patrick Sertain gives you. Uh, A lot of room to work with, basically, at the cornerback position. But at the same time, you know, one corner cannot do everything. Um, He solidifies one part of the field, which is super important because he he pretty much travels with um, the best wide receiver that they play every single week. Um, But Damari Mathis is a a fourth-round pick from last year. He's a slated starter right now. They also have Tremaine Smith. Um, and Delonte Hood and Jaquan McMillan, who they believe are going to obviously compete for that other corner position. I I don't see a way where they don't bring in at least one or two um, corners to compete as well at that position opposite Sertain. They need to find somebody else who can solidify the other side of the field. Quan Williams is probably going to be the nickel corner that they uh, signed from the 49ers um, a couple seasons ago. But, um, yeah, the outside cornerback position is definitely an area that they need to address. Um, the safeties are pretty good. Kate Stearns played pretty well for them last year, and Justin Simmons obviously is a really, really good safety, one of the better safeties in the NFL. But overall, I mean, the cornerback position, the defensive line, I still like a lot of what they have on the interior of their defensive line. Um, they, they obviously have DJ Jones, who they brought in. They brought in Zach Allen, signed him to a pretty big contract. And they still have Mike Purcell, who I think is a really good player, Jonathan Harris, uh, who they got from Chicago. Um, I I like a lot of what they had there. They could add some depth there. But their third major need for me is a wide receiver. Uh, Cortland Sutton is a really good player, but he's way too inconsistent. He's not a true number one wide receiver like I thought he had a chance to be. Jerry Judy has not shown that yet either. He's shown explosive playmaking ability, Uh, another really good player, but he has not been consistent enough, uh, in this offense at least, to show that he is a true number one receiver they're also due to make money. I mean, Sutton already has a pretty big contract, Judy, and he, and he's nearing another, where he's going to need to be signed again, uh, probably after this season or after next. Um, And and Judy has one more year on his contract right now, but obviously I would, I would expect them to exercise a fifth year option for him. Um, But with, really no depth behind them. I mean, K.J. Hamler has struggled to stay on the field in his first three seasons at all, and Tim Patrick is not getting any younger, nearing 30 years old already. So um, I I think that trying to make Russell Wilson as comfortable as possible, and if they can try to identify another wide receiver in the draft to bring in and and compete for that wide receiver three spot, and maybe even more, obviously, um, I think that that's another position that you can't have enough at. um, and, And Sutton and Judy just have not shown, like I said, have not shown enough to be looked at, either one of them, as the true number one um, that can hold and solidify one end of the field. So, I, you know, there was a lot of talks about Sutton and Judy both being traded this offseason, and I thought that made a lot of sense with the Broncos needing more draft picks. Um, but at the same time, you know, I understand as well, you paid a lot of money for Russell Wilson. You need to have um, – you need to have playmakers on offense for him to work with, or it's just going to be a complete disaster. Um, so I understand them not trading either of them as well, um, and and I don't think that that's going to happen. Obviously, as those rumors have been kind of squashed by Sean Payton. So, but anyways, um, yeah, those are the major needs that I think for I think the Broncos have. Um, still a good roster. Still a lot to work with. The running back position. If Javante Williams can come back and be healthy, they brought in Samaj P. Ryan behind him, um, and they still have some some players there. Uh, I like Greg Dulcich and what he did, uh, third round pick last year in the draft at tight end for them. So they still have a lot of really good players on the team. The offensive line's pretty good, um, pretty solid. So Russell Wilson obviously just needs to step up this year. He needs to stop taking so many sacks, trying to make too much, try, trying to make um more happened than than is there. Uh it just looked like look he looked like a rookie quarterback last year. He 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 did not fit the offense, but I think he's going to fit it a lot better this year. I think there's too much talent on this team, especially on offense for them to struggle the way that they did last year. Okay. Let's move on to the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers coming off another year where they went 10 and 7, um underwhelming for how talented the roster is and for having Justin Herbert as your quarterback. And then a really upsetting and really tough defeat um, in the first round of the playoffs after uh, blowing a 28 to nothing lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, you know, it, it's been tough for this Brandon Staley um, tenure in his first two years with the Chargers, and uh, just such a talented roster that for, for them to be so um, mediocre over his first two seasons perfect word for the Chargers. But Coming into this year, still a really talented roster. Justin Herbert took another step forward last year and uh, made his first playoff appearance. I I think that coming into this year, Herbert is going to have even a better team, a more experienced team around him. And if they can identify a few of these um, uh, key positions that they need to fill um, where they've made mistakes in the past, I, I think that the Chargers are going to be a really good team this year. Um, so, starting off, number one is the cornerback position. Um, Corner is a position that they've struggled at for years now, and tried to fix over the last couple off seasons by um, bringing in Asante Samuel Jr. in the second, early second round in 2021. Really good player. They've, 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 they hit one with that. Uh, last year, then they tried signing J.C. Jackson to a massive contract to go alongside uh, Asante Samuel Jr. and that was a disaster. Uh, JC Jackson struggled mightily over the first half of the season, um, and then missed over. He played just under half the first half of the season, and was just terrible. And then missed the second half of the season due to a uh, injury, and leading him to this season, he is going to be competing for a starting job um, at the cornerback position. So obviously, not what they were expecting, or what anyone was um, hoping for in that organization when they signed Jackson to the. Uh, contract that they did um so he'll be competing with michael davis and uh um and last year's seventh round pick uh dean leonard for that other outside corner position the nickel corner position is jazeer taylor who struggled as well last year they really just don't have anything unless jc jackson steps back up and play starts playing like he did um over his tenure at the new england patriots I, there's really just no one else at the cornerback position that you can feel really good about besides Asante Samuel Jr. Michael Davis is a good player. Um, he's not really what you want to be your you know guaranteed starter though. You you want competition alongside Michael Davis. He's just not been a consistent good corner over his career. He's he's played well, um, but he's a really good basically depth guy to have at the position. So uh corner is going to be the main need, I think, for the Chargers to identify early on with that 21st overall pick. Just to let you guys know, I need to start doing this. They have the 21st pick, they have the 54th in the second round, and they have the 85th in the third round. Um, so three three picks in the first three rounds of the draft. Um, I would not be surprised to see them with the 21st pick identified. That's going to be about the time where I think a lot of these corners are going to end up going to, and there's a lot of good corners that are supposed to go in mid, mid to late in the first round. So... Would not be surprised at all to see the Chargers try to uh, sign one of them to bring them in to compete with J.C. Jackson for that other starting role uh, opposite Asante Samuel Jr. Other positions of need is guard. Offensive guard is going to be a key position for them to identify. Herbert took way too many sacks. He was sacked seventh most in the NFL last year with 38 sacks. A lot of that pressure, as I talked about before, I believe, on the podcast, Herbert took a lot of sacks up the middle. Um, the interior, of the offensive line, was just an issue last year, and they have really good players there. Zion Johnson, uh, right guard for them, played really well in his first season. Um, you know, he—I mean, he was somewhat inconsistent, for, but for a, for a rookie, I thought he played really well. Uh, the tackle positions have been great for them when they've been able to stay healthy, and Trey Pipkins and uh, Rashawn Slater, um, but the left guard position is going to be a major area to identify to uh, really take this offensive line to another level. Because like I said, you know, Corey Lindsley at center, they have really good players all along the offensive line. But when one position is as weak as the left guard position has been for them with the rotating cast of players, um, it it can really hurt the offensive line as, as a whole, even if you have great players at other positions. So um, would not be surprised to see them obviously bringing in another guard to try to compete with Brendan Jameis and, and Jameer Slayer at the left guard position. Um, so besides that, um, the only other position that I have that I could see the Chargers trying to identify, because like I said, this roster is really good. A lot of really young player, really good young players, a lot of really good veteran players. Edge rusher is something I could see them trying to um, if, if somebody falls to them, I, could, I would not be surprised to see them take an edge rusher. Khalil Mack is entering his age 32 season, and he is going to be due just under $40 million, uh, a 40, be a $40 million cap hit next year. There's no way that the, the Chargers will pay that. Uh, Joey Boza also is slated um, to make twenty just over $22 million next year. And he's going to be nearing thirty years old by mid to late that next season. Okay, um, they're getting old <laughs> at the edge. Rush. They're they're still fantastic, but they're getting old at the edge rush position. And they do not have any depth behind these two guys. So relying on two older pass rushers who have been hurt often throughout their careers in Mack and Boza. Um, if somebody falls to them and they feel like it makes a lot of sense, I would not be surprised. Or even in the third or fourth round. I would not be surprised to see the Chargers bring in um, an edge rusher to uh, just kind of give them some leeway next year when they're going to have to probably let Matt go, um, and, and we'll see what they end up doing with Boza. Um, but, they, but they need to start thinking about the future at that position, even though they're really strong there heading into 2023. Um, so, you know, obviously besides that, the Chargers are a team that just has a lot. I mean, we'll see what happens with Austin Eckler. He obviously requested a trade. The Chargers granted him... Uh, the opportunity to go and look for a trade. Um, so behind them, they have jo- behind him, they have Joshua Kelly, Isaiah Spiller, Larry Roundtree. Uh, nobody that you really want starting on this offense as your running back one. So I, you know, again, I would not be surprised to see them uh, draft a running back in the draft two to come in and compete there if they end up trading Eckler. Um, but we'll see what they get in the Eckler trade too because they may get another second, third round pick if they do end up trading Eckler. So um, the wide receiver position, they're pretty good. A really good roster. They, they just really, the cornerback position is the main thing. The cornerback and the guard, but cornerback especially, the main area that they need to address um, if they want to put another, even better team on the field um, than they did last year. Okay, we'll move on to the reigning Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. So... Um, <laughs> Again, the Chiefs are just—it's it, insane how this team, every single year, they lose players—it feels like they lose another key player every offseason. And yet again, when you look at their roster, they're still one of the best teams in the NFL. So none of the needs for them are super pressing, but edge rusher is something that definitely needs to be addressed. Uh, George Karloftis, first-round pick last year, was not super impressive during his rookie season. Um, but, but even though that is the case— he will be thrown into a starting role and he did do a lot better. Um, you know, at the end of the season, heading into the playoffs, he had, he had some really good games where I think he showed a lot of improvement. So I think they're still excited about what they have in him, but he will definitely be thrown into a starting role with the release of Frank Clark. Um, but addressing the position opposite of him is going to be something that they're probably going to try to identify with their, uh, 31st overall pick. They have 31, 63 and 95. um, they brought in uh, Charles Amenehu from the 49ers, who's a really good pass rusher, but I, I don't think that that means that you can't try to bring in another early round pick for such a key position. I mean, the Chiefs have you know, Chris Jones still up the middle, um, who who is a really good rusher, but I think if Karloftis does not take a step forward in year two, you're going to need somebody else to be a presence on the outside uh, for this defense to be what they have been with Frank Clark, so... Um, like I said, yeah, taking an edge rusher makes a lot of sense for the Chiefs, a, a really smart team too, who's probably going to try to, with their first pick, uh, draft a position that is, that is marquee and super important, like edge rusher. Um, the interior defensive line is something else that could be addressed. Derek Nandi uh, did not have a good season at all last year, so getting somebody to go alongside Chris Jones, who again is nearing age, or is, you know, past age 30 now, um, and and you're gonna need somebody else um, to be a presence on the inside of the defense next to Chris Jones for their run defense not to get gashed at times like they did early on last season. Um, so, yeah, identify if they can if they can find an interior defensive lineman that they like um, late in the first round. I think that makes a lot of sense for them as well. And then the wide receiver position, Mikko Hardman exited the team obviously this year. Juju Smith-Schuster, um, obviously signed. Elsewhere, and uh, so they drafted the replace the replacement last year, I believe, of Mikael Hardman um, in Sky Moore. He'll be slated to be a a starter for the team. They also traded for Kadarius Tony, who I think is just has a massive ceiling, but is still a, definitely an unknown. um But finding a true wide receiver one on a four year cheap contract to put in the into this passing offense with Mahomes and Kelsey. Um, I think that that would really take them to a dimension, obviously, that they lacked in the beginning of last season, and and really throughout the whole season, but they just found ways around it, and Patrick Mahomes is just, obviously, insane, he's Patrick Mahomes, Um, so he can pretty much make anything happen, (laughs) even when he's given nothing um, at certain positions, especially the wide receiver position, so... You know, I think I, I like what they have with Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony and Marquez valdez scaling a lot of really good speed guys, deep threats. Um, Kadarius Tony, obviously kind of a, a gadget player that can do it all, but I, I definitely think that if they, again, find somebody who falls to them. You know, te- teams like this who don't have major needs, what they, what they honestly do is they wait and they see what player... At these marquee positions falls to their to them in the draft, and then they try to take the best player that they can at an important position. Um, that that's how they sustain long-term success uh, is by getting these guys at, at the important positions um, that fall in the draft on cheap contracts that they can put around guys that they have to pay, like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. Um, and then when you can when you get enough of those guys on four-year deals that are cheap. Um, at the important positions, you don't have to pay people to come in. That's why you can trade somebody like Tyreek Hill. So, like I said, important positions, wide receiver, edge rusher, defensive line. Um, I, I think whoever falls to the Chiefs, that's going to be where they end up going. Okay, and then finally, we'll move on to the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, the Raiders, a team that probably has the most needs, I would say. Well, the, I mean, the Broncos or the Raiders, but I think the Raiders have the most needs personally in the AFC West. Um, the secondary has no pieces that have had long-term success past last season on any consistent basis. Um, and, and so the secondary pretty much anywhere you look, they bring in Marcus Epps, safety from the Eagles, um, who played good last year. They bring in Duke Shelley, cornerback for the Vikings who played good in his first year as a pretty much full-time starter. Um, and they have Trayvon Morig who has struggled early on in his career as their other safety um, and then outside, but outside of that, I mean, really the Raiders just do not have a lot to work with at the cornerback position. Um, so I would not be surprised to see them draft multiple corners, um, in, in the, in this draft with their second, third round picks, um, or even a first round, their first round pick. But I just, that would surprise me more because this is a team still that we've talked about before you signed Jimmy Garoppolo. It's basically a one year deal they're still trying to identify a long-term quarterback. I I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is somebody, because this team still has a lot of talent on the roster, he's somebody that they brought in to try to implement the system. I think it makes a lot of sense for him to be uh, uh, Josh McDaniel's kind of uh, teacher to a young quarterback whenever they find and are able to identify their young quarterback for him to bring in. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is a really good dude, a, a, a guy that you know players have talked about for years and years as being a, um, a great team guy and a guy that is a, just a great teammate, a great leader for the team. So um, I think Jimmy Garoppolo made a lot of sense after the struggles that Josh McDaniels had in year one of really um, building the culture that he wanted in, in his first year. And he struggled with this before with the Broncos at his last tenure. Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo makes a lot of sense as a guy that he's comfortable with, who's a really good teammate, who's going to come in, implement the system, implement the culture, and turn this thing around and and just get it back going um, for Josh McDaniel. So it made a lot of sense for them, I think, to sign Jimmy Garoppolo to the contract that they did. But that does not by any means mean that they will not try to draft a quarterback early on in the draft. So... I would not be surprised at all to see the Raiders try to move up in the draft and try to draft one of these top quarterbacks. They're going to be a team that I think is kind of being slept on at this point. That will be, um, you know, in it for Will Levis or Anthony Richardson and trying to trying to move up and, and draft one of them, whoever they um, kind of believe is going to be their guy. But corner, like I said, cornerback position, another position, linebacker. Again, they lost Denzel Perryman, um, and that hurts. So finding a replacement for them. Uh, at the center of the defense is going to be another key for moving or is going to be another key for them in the draft. And then obviously the offensive line as well is a team that lost a lot of pieces on the offensive line over the last two years. And Jimmy Garoppolo has been a good quarterback for the 49ers over the last five seasons when he was playing, but he's also been protected by top five offensive line for every single year, uh, that he's played for, for, for a, a significant amount of games for the 49ers. Uh, so if they're going to have any success in 2023 they're going to need to try to bring in some more competition at the on the offensive line as well. Uh I believe to give Jimmy Garoppolo any sort of of chance. Um Alex Bars right now is slated to be their right guard, Andre James their center, Dylan Perriman, third round pick from last year, their left guard. Uh they also have Jordan Meredith and uh Grasu, Nate Nita- uh Mut- Mutai just not a lot of guys who have, you know, long term success or any sort of um, any sort of really like full seasons of success on on the offensive line. Um, so I think that's going to be another major area that they're going to try to bring in competition uh, to be try to be competitive on offense in year one. The skill positions are really good: Hunter Renfro, Jacoby Myers, Devontae Adams, Keelan Cole, Philip Dorsett, wide receivers, uh, Josh Jacobs, who obviously got the um the franchise tag and then um Austin Hooper who they bring in at tight end they also brought in OJ Howard they have a lot of talent on offense but uh the offensive line is really the major area that they're going to need to address uh if they're going to be competitive in 2023 okay that rounds out the AFC West team needs um and obviously next week we will end up doing another division in the air yeah next week on Tuesday night Wednesday morning for the Wednesday podcast Um, we'll end up doing another division. I think I'm going to do the AFC East next. Um, so you can, yeah, we'll do that. We're going to do the AFC East on Wednesday. So make sure you tune in for the AFC East and we'll go over all their team needs, but I'm going to take a quick break here and we will be back with our best bets for the weekend in the XFL and in NASCAR for the food city dirt race on Sunday night here on nonstop BS. Okay, best bets for Easter weekend here on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we'll start off here with the XFL. So um, there's two games that I've identified that I like bets in the XFL. The first one is on Saturday here in a few hours, actually. I'm going to be releasing this podcast just after noon um, on Saturday. But the Renegades, the Arlington Renegades, are taking on um, the Orlando Guardians in Orlando. The Renegades are 3-4. and four. And the Guardians get their first win last week, and they're now one and six uh, in a really high-scoring, fun, fun game. A lot of these games have been super, super, super fun. If you guys haven't been paying attention, the playoffs are going to be, I think, a lot of fun to watch. So, uh, definitely been a fun season for the XFL. The Renegades are a team that has a really good defense. They're one of the they're pro- they're number two right now in overall defense in the XFL. Um, but their offense has just struggled a lot this year. At uh, one point, they were 3-2. and two. They're coming off of two straight losses here now um, to some really good teams. But, you know, their defense is what keeps them in it. And uh, the, the Guardians, on the other hand, are a team that has absolutely no defense, and their offense um, has been better as of late. And they're the major reason why they've been competitive and why they got their first lit win last week against the Defenders. Um, so, in this game, the Guardians right now are a 1-1.5-point one one favorite against the Renegades. Listen, I think the Renegades are just such a well-coached team, and even though they don't have a ton of talent on offense, um, and really, they're not, I don't think, the most talented team on defense as well. They're just really well-coached, and they've played really well all year defensively, um, and it's kept them in a lot of games. But Orlando, coming off of their first win, they're kind of on a high right now. They're playing a lot better, and I think the only reason that they're favored in this game is because of recent success, and I think that this is an overreaction to what these teams have been throughout the whole season uh, here in the XFL. Cause Arlington's been the more competitive team throughout the whole season. And yet they come into this game as underdogs. Listen, I mean, I, I don't think that home field advantage has a major factor in any of these games in the XFL. You know, there, there are people in attendance to a lot of these games, but the only one that even has really an argument, I think to have a, give a team a real advantage, um, is St. Louis's because they've had the best attendance by far of any team in the XFL. Um, I just think the Renegades are a better team. I think they're better coached. I think that they have uh, a defense that's going to keep them in every single game. And th- getting them as dogs right now, um, I'm going to take them at plus 110 uh, to win this game on the money line for a one-unit play. Um, just really think that the Renegades are not a under 50% to win this game. I think they should be favored. I don't think it should be by much. I think they should be the one to one-and-a-half point favorite, though. Um, so Renegades on the money line at plus 110. Is the best that I can find it. It's anywhere between uh, plus 100 and plus 110, um, in all the different books that I've looked at. So, Renegades plus 110 on the money line. The next game that I like in the XFL um, is coming up here on Sunday, and it is the marquee game: the DC Defenders and the Seattle Sea Dragons. Uh, the Defenders at six and one, obviously had their first loss last week, and the Sea Dragons coming off of five straight wins, um, started off the season 0 and two and some close losses, some tough losses to start the season. And really, they've probably best been the best team in the XFL ever since that point uh, on their five-game winning streak. Um, this is for <laughs> this is for the division lead here in the North uh, Division in the XFL. And it's going to be a really fun game. Um, you know, the Sea Dragons offense has been just awesome um, over this five-game stretch, but the defenders are still... <laughs> One of the best overall offenses and defenses. Um, And and their offense played great in their first loss to the Guardians last week. Um, You know, both offenses are fantastic. The total in this game is 47.5. I believe that is the largest total that we've seen in a game here in the XFL yet. Um, And so that tells you about what they kind of think. It's going to be a high-scoring game. Ben DiNucci for the Sea Dragons, though, has been a turnover machine. Even though this team scores a lot of points and they're a really high-flying offense, uh, he makes a lot of really good plays as well, he's also super loose with the football. And he's had a ton of turnovers, most turnovers in the XFL um, by Ben DiNucci. I just think that right now with the Sea, the sea Dragons being a two-point favorite, uh, the total being where it's at, I think this is a we <laughs> r we're gonna be a really close game. I, I get why the point spread is what it is. I again I think that it should be flip-flop though. I think that the defenders and Jordan Tiamu is a lot more careful with the football. He's a, a dual threat guy who can do it in multiple ways. Um, and, and he's had long term success in leagues like the XFL and the USFL or and the um, um the AAF. Sorry, forgetting the name of that league at this point. Um, but he's had he's had success in multiple uh, different, you know of these leagues that happen here in the spring and su- summer. Um, I, I, I like the defenders on the money line. I get them at plus one fifteen. Um, I think this is a close game as well, but I'm gonna put one unit on them. Um, basically just thinking that the the Sea dragons are gonna make a mistake in a more um, in in it's gonna be a, a game back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and the Sea dragons are the team that's most likely to make a mistake. Uh, with Ben DiNucci, Um and, and I think that gives obviously the defenders a little bit of an edge in a in a shootout type of game. So, Sea um, Dragon or my two bets here on one on Saturday is the Renegades money line uh, plus one ten, and then tomorrow night at six o'clock central is the Defenders money line plus one fifteen against the Sea Dragons. Okay, moving over to the Food City Dirt Race. We have had two of these races in the last couple of seasons um, at Bristol where they've done the Bristol Dirt. These races are so much fun. Now, I'm going to have a lot of bets in this race. Make sure you are following me because on, on all the places I told you in the beginning of the episode because I can't give a lot of them out right now like I said, a lot of the lines are not out at certain books, so I don't want to give... There's going to be a ton of matchup bets that I like. I'm going to give a few out right now. I'm going to give my outrights that I like right now out before they qualify. Um, but I may give out some more. I may switch up which ones I, I like. I may add add to some of the bets that I'm making right now, so just make sure you're listening along. And there's also some other outrights, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of <laughs> lines that I don't think are very... Um, I don't think the books have a lot of confidence in these lines because, like I said, there's only been two races at this track, um, so there's a lot of variance in in odds. So I'm going to give you guys out a couple of outright bets that you can play if you like that I like, but I don't. They're not my favorite bets, um, and I'm not going to put you know I'm not going to put money down on like ten different outrights to win this game or to win this race. Um, (laughs) So I'm I'm just letting you know I'm going to give you my favorite bets, and then I'm going to give you some other bets that I like. Uh, that I may not be playing, you may not see in on the action app for me if you follow me along. If you follow along with me on there, but if you want to play them, I think they're good bets. So, enough rambling. Starting off here with my outrights for the race. Listen, I don't understand how Joey Logano is twelve to one. Uh, I get he had limited dirt. Um, he, actually pretty much no dirt track um, uh, experience before they started racing in the Cup Series on dirt. But the dude won the first race that he raced here, and did it in pretty dominating fashion at the end of the race. Um, and then last year got ended up getting third. He's been he's been awesome in these races, and he's twelve to one. I mean, you got guys like Kyle Larson and and Christopher Bell, and um, you know Chase Briscoe. A lot of guys who have had in the past. Uh, a lot of experience on dirt. Who have not raced? Chase Briscoe raced good last year, but then he blew it at the end of the race um, by spinning out and wrecking him and Tyler Raddick. Um Listen, I mean, Joey Logano's been more consistent at, on this race. I don't understand why he would be such a heavier favorite. These guys are all at six, seven to one, and Logano's at twelve to one. Logano's been dominant over the last couple seasons as well. I mean, there's there everything in everything is pointing to Joey Logano being competitive and being right there at the end of this thing. Um, At 12 to 1, he's 14 to 1, I guess, at books that I can't access here in Illinois. Um, But 12 to 1, 14 to 1, whatever you can get Joey Logano at, that is by far my favorite outright for this race. Okay, also, so Joey Logano 12 to 1 for me, one unit play there. I'm also going to put a half unit on Ricky Stenhouse. I can find him at 20 to 1. Ricky Stenhouse is a guy who is awesome at dirt racing, and he's been really good this year as well. Um, won the Daytona 500. Uh, Sten- you know, Stenhouse is a guy that two years ago when they first raced here probably had the most dominant car at the end of the race when Logano ended up winning and shot up from being in the back of the top 10 to getting second place uh, over the last 40 laps. So, you know, he was dominant two years ago. Last year ran really well also and struggled for multiple different reasons throughout the middle of the race. Um, but overall, I mean, Stenhouse is a guy at 20 to 1. I, I know the odds have shortened in this race, and it's kind of being reflected by how, the, you know, he's a he's a really good dirt racer. But I don't think 20 to 1 is short enough by any means. I think you got guys ahead of him like Ryan Blaney and Denny Hamlin, uh, Martin Truex Jr., who... Have way less experience on these t- at these types of tracks and have been, um, not nearly as good as Stenhouse, even in the two races that they've ran here in the Cup Series. So, Stenhouse at 20 to 1, I'm going to put a half unit on that. I'm also going to do a half unit on a guy who has been underrated by the market all season, has been had one of the most dominant cars all season in the Cup Series, and is a really good dirt racer. Um, and that is Alex Bowman at 25 to 1 that is an an absurd line. So I'm going to put a half unit on him as well. Like I said, long-term success at dirt tracks and a really good dirt racer, a lot of experience uh, throughout his time before he was even in the cup series um, at dirt racing. So 25 to one for Alex Bowman, uh, a guy who just continues to be underrated by the market. There's another one. And this is what I'm talking about. Brad Keselowski at 30 to one. I think that's a really good play. I think you play either Alex Bowman or Brad Keselowski. Um, I'm gonna play Alex Bowman, but I, I definitely like Brad Kozlowski at thirty to one as well. Um, and then my, but my my last bet as an outright, and this is why I I don't want to play a million outrights for this game. There's for this race, there are way too many uh, good matchups that I can kind of use a guy like Brad Kozlowski for um, in a different way. And so yeah, my last outright that I'm gonna pick is that I'm gonna bet is a. Uh, a long, long, long shot, but this is a guy that I've seen race and be really, really good on the dirt um, in the in the in the truck series, in um, in the Xfinity series, in the Cup series. He was he ran pretty well until um, he had some issues also in the middle of the race last year, and that's Todd Gillen. Uh, Todd Gillen, a hundred to one, that's insane. There, nobody has that much more experience than a young guy like Todd Gilland on dirt at dirt tracks um, and a hundred to one is just I, I think it's bonkers some books have him at 50 55 to one and that kind of shows that this is just a misprice I'm gonna put a quarter unit on Todd Gilland at 100 to one um, like I said I've seen him ran, run really well almost every single time that I've I've watched him on on a, a dirt track um, so I think 100 to one is is ridiculous for him. Okay, some matchups that I want to give out here early on. Like I said, there are a ton of matchups that I like um, for this race, but I'm not going to give you guys every single one of them right now because um, there's just way too many to give out, and um, I think that there's going to be more that end up coming out that I will probably end up wanting to bet. Um, So I'm going to wait to give my official bets uh, later on on Twitter. Okay, but the ones that I like here early on. First off, Kyle Busch is plus 105 against Chase Briscoe. Kyle Busch is dominant at every single track, every type of race. And just because Chase Briscoe ran well here one time and has some dirt racing experience does not mean that he should be favored in a matchup against Kyle Busch. Uh, So Kyle Busch plus 105, one unit play there. Also, Brad Keselowski uh, against Chris Buescher. They're even right now. Cause Ke- is minus 115 against Chris Busher. I love that. I mean, Brad Kozlowski, a guy who has been, uh, has a lot more experience than Chris Busher, his teammate. Um, and and I just don't understand. I mean, Busher is somebody who has not ran well here in the first two races at all, by any means. Um, so, Kozlowski, a guy much more experienced on these type of tracks, just in general, a lot better racer. I think this is just an insane line. Um, And then the last one that I'm going to give out right now is a group bet. So let me pull this back up here on the book because it took me away from um, the NASCAR section. So just bear with me a second. Um, There are four different, if you guys have never done, I've never given these bets out. So if you've never bet these type of of bets before, um, there are multiple different groups that they give for every single bet. So it's basically you pick an outright of a group of four. So this group that I'm going to be betting into is a group of Chris Buescher, Brad Kozlowski, Kevin Harvick, and Josh Berry. Brad Brad Kozlowski and Chris Buescher are plus 220. Kevin Harvick and Josh Berry are plus 320. I'm taking Brad Kozlowski here. It it, it kind of goes back to exactly what I was talking about with him and Chris Buescher. And then you add in Kevin Harvick, who has had no... (laughs) no experience on these tracks except for the two races at Bristol and Josh Berry, another guy who is not doesn't have very much uh, doesn't have very much experience at these tracks as well, and is not even very experienced in the in the Cup Series. Obviously, um, Brad Kozlowski being pretty much even odds with these guys, I think is ridiculous. So plus two twenty, that's going to be a one unit play as well. Uh, love him in that group. Um, okay, that's going to be it for right now. Make sure you're following along. Big race, super fun race, really, really good betting opportunity. I feel like so. Make sure you're following along with me um, at all the places that I told you over the next couple of days. Okay, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Nonstop BS. We will be back on Wednesday morning with, like I said, um, some more draft preview previews for and and on Wednesday it'll be for the AFC East. And then uh, we will obviously be giving out our best bets for the remaining play in games um, coming up on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday um, for whatever markets are open. Um, But again, thank you guys for listening and have a fantastic Easter weekend. Hope you guys enjoyed another episode of Nonstop BS. We will see you on Wednesday. Personally felt like we had a really successful episode and you know, we're not really about the sorries, like any of the catch ups, like where I was, what I was doing. You know what? We did it, we moved on and